Uh, so, John, I don't know if you've seen any of the, the new resurrected version of the podcast or not, but the way it usually goes is uh, we, we kind of are on screen for a second, and then Aaron plays the catchiest uh, theme music in all of podcasting. Hello, MC Podcast audience. Uh, thanks for coming back to another episode. We got uh, my dad. I'm Andrew Crabtree. This is my dad, Lynn Crabtree. Hi there. And joined off the screen here is uh, is our friend, uh, John Gaser. John, thanks for coming on the podcast. Good day, guys. I look forward to entering into some good discussion and hopefully helping uh, our viewers out there make some good decisions in the near future. Well, near future is right because uh, we're going to talk about silage harvest to kick things off. And by the time this airs here in a couple of weeks, we'll be knocking on the door of of cutting some cutting some silage. Uh, as we're kind of trying to give some knowledge here that can help help our friends watching. Uh, for you know, I, I think you kind of gave a, a talk to some of our dealers uh, via Zoom a few weeks ago, and one of the things that you were talking about that kind of stood out to me as a as an ideal topic for this time of year was harvest moisture. Uh, so maybe if you want to just riff for a minute on on what's the ideal harvest moisture and then what can you lose if you if you miss that window? Yeah, I can't do it. So uh, I've seen a few articles trying to hit this point recently, uh, re- notably from Professor Joe Lauer, University of Wisconsin. I've had an opportunity to learn from him, uh, Professor Randy Shaver and, and some other key industry influencers out there. But if, if we miss uh, it, and we go out and cut corn and we miss our moisture window, it's going to have potentially two ramifications for us downstream uh, feeding that silage out later. Uh, we, we typically monitor moisture as a proxy for maturity, the whole plant maturity. And so that's important to nail so that we have an appropriate balance of starch and grain content relative to the stover, but also so that we optimize the grain and stover digestibility. Because if the maturity gets on a little bit too far, we'll, we'll end up with a little bit harder starch a little bit more vitreous endosperm, and it's just not going to feed as well. It's going to flow through cows, uh, through cattle, and, and unfortunately, we're going to leave some uh, bushels on the table that will be feeding back to turkeys. But where uh, moisture is, is equally or even more important to, to pay attention to, as well as kernel maturity and whole plant maturity, uh, because there can be disconnects between moisture and maturity. So it's important to monitor both kernel maturity, whole plant maturity, as well as moisture. But moisture relates to how successfully we can preserve the the whole plant chops corn and and creates silage Uh, there are a few important factors to creating a successful silage one that can be stored for uh three weeks to three months to even three years i've been exposed to silage that has been fermented and and sealed up and preserved for a decade plus and then and the day it comes out it's still as good as say uh, three months to a year after it would have went in. But if we miss our moisture window, then we're going to have a little bit more likelihood for a little bit fluffier feed in the silo or in the bag or in the bunker pile pit, whatever we might call it. I'll use the term silo to classify all of them. And if we end up with that fluffy scenario, then we're gonna have a situation where air can get in a little bit more to the silage when we're feeding it back out, uh, which presents uh, some feed out stability and nutrient loss issues we can have we can have nutrient robbers like mold and yeast grow in the feed and uh, we might pitch off some some spoiled feed that we think we we kind of uh, took care of things and cleaned the feed up but there's a lot going on that we won't be able to see with our eyeballs so coming back to your question and pointing out why moisture is so important to monitor 
and get somewhere probably around 62 to 68% on average, depending on your storage structure, around 35 dry matter. We gotta nail that so we can successfully preserve, ferment, and capture every bit of nutritional value uh, out of every acre we harvest and, and feed that out. Very cool. Uh, so one of the other factors, you know, as guys are going in and they're cutting silage, uh, talk maybe, and, and maybe you can chime in after him, uh, talk about chop length and chop height. Uh, what do you like to see? And then, uh, you know, at Master's Choice, and maybe you can kind of address this a little bit too, is uh, at Master's Choice, you know, having that flex plant and having more of that plant digestible, how, how maybe your chop height can be affected by the genetics you're working with? Yeah, so I'm going to put my university hat on just for, for a second and say it depends, right? It, it, <laughs> the top length and then the cut height are, are going to depend upon other factors. But thinking practically where a lot of our dairy and beef uh, producers are at and growers for those, those different farms, depending on how much silage we have in the diet, the chop height and cut length, theoretical cut length, are increasingly important uh, to, to balance against other factors. So I'll start by the situation where it really doesn't matter. And there are very few of these out there. But if we're feeding, say, two thirds or most of our forage is a hay or a haylage crop, well, then the chop length and the cut height of the corn and the whole plant corn silage isn't going to be as influential on the resulting diet performance. It, it'll matter to some extent, but it's not going to be as important because we're going to have we're going to have fiber, effective fiber that's important for rumen function and animal health coming from other areas. But more increasingly common with today's uh, today's dairy and, and beef feedyard situations, we are feeding more and more and more silage. It tends to give us more digestible uh, total carbohydrate combination of grain and stover per acre at a lower cost. It's a more consistent crop relative to our hay and haylage crop. So what I'm seeing, what we are seeing is just higher silage diets. So with those higher silage diets, and provided that we've got a fair bit of forage in the diet, depending on dairy and beef, it might be as low as 20% forage, or it might be upwards of 60 to 70% forage. That, I'll start to speak about theoretical length of cut first. That is really important to nail down because if we, uh, and, and I will assume most producers out there will be uh, kernel processing in the event that we are not kernel processing, well, then it's a little bit more uh, important to chop a little bit finer. But in the event that we are kernel processing, then we're going to want to lengthen out our theoretical length of cut to probably somewhere between three quarters of an inch and an inch plus, uh, speaking in, in English units uh, from a metric standpoint, probably somewhere in around 19 to 26 millimeters if I'm remembering my conversion right. But that's gonna be important so that we have enough effective fiber in the diet, we can maintain rumen health and that the silage doesn't flow through the animals too quickly where we lose feed efficiency. Feed efficiency should be uh, something that we are using as one of our key performance indicators now just beyond uh, say gains uh, without taking into account intake or just milk production per cow per day. We gotta be talking feed efficiency, uh, which is gonna tie back more tightly to uh, economics and, and business performance. But then coming back to cut height, cut height in my mind will depend upon more so yield and what the growing conditions have uh, have done for us in, in the given year and what our silage inventory uh, currently looks like. So in years where we just didn't have good yields the year prior or we may have had drought or tough, tough conditions, which many producers in the upper Midwest and Northeast have experienced over the last couple of years, we don't necessarily have mammoth feed inventories or big carryovers. So in that case, I would uh, more likely recommend cutting at traditional cut, uh, chop heights. Uh, so that would be anywhere between 
as low as four, five, six inches off the ground and maybe eight to 12 inches off the ground. But if we have a fantastic growing year, such as many of his experienced this year, as well as reasonable to uh, above average feed inventories, then we can consider raising the cutter head up on the chopper a, a good six, 12 or even 18 inches. And what that's primarily gonna do is increase the green to silver ratio. So we're gonna end up with a higher starch content. We're gonna end up with more energy per pound and per ton of feed, uh, which will be to the dairy or feed yards benefit because we've got uh, just greater energy density with every mouthful of feed consumed. And then we will also be leaving a less digestible portion of the plant in the uh, undigestible neutral detergent fiber or UNDF 240 as uh, us nutritionist geeks call that it tends to concentrate a little bit more the closer we get to the ground. So if we leave that uh, bottom part of the stover out in the field, that means that we have a, a more digestible fiber as well. Professor Luis Ferreto and I have done some work looking at uh, several different publications out there. And we've, we've come up with some calculations to look at cut height relative to yield. Of course, if we cut higher, we will be leaving some yield out in the field, but it's less digestible yield. Uh, but it will also improve not only grain to stover, but also the digestibility of the fiber uh, in, in that plant. So those are all important to considerations. I've sort of rambled uh, quite a bit here, but hopefully you can you can fold some of these thoughts into your decision-making process this year. John, I've got a theory that I want to run by you, and, and it's kind of connecting some dots, but it, but the, but it, but it originates in, and, and I really want to know what you think about this, and I probably should ask you before we went into this podcast what, you, what, what your opinion is so I don't set myself up for failure. But we have really, um, and this is a shameless plug for Master's Choice, but we have, we have really designed our, our development program, our R&D research behind trying to reduce populations and, and breed for high sugar contents. And the reason that we've done that is because my theory suggests that a lot of the things that we're doing that are detrimental to our cause have been have been in place because we have a poorly designed product for its end use and what i mean by that is that when we're, when we're talking about uh we're talking about moisture content you know we have constantly pushed that 35 to 40 percent dry matter mark down to closer to 30 to 35 percent much more recommendations out there for for a lot less moisture when we do that we reduce yield when we get closer to black layer yields go up and in a lot of cases we can reduce yield by 20 percent uh, when we're chopping at 32 percent dry matter versus 38 percent dry matter so it's important to try to be able to hit that upper end if we can without giving up some of the some of the issues that you talked about that's going to cause us some harm so with with the with a lower population, we're able to get a lot more density in the stock, a little more digestibility in those five carbon sugars that are in that stock, and that's the kind of material that packs better. So the issue that you had on hand where we, you know, where we are, are not getting good pack with that fluff and fermentation and fermentation loss, which you didn't discuss either, um, uh, you know, which can be significant, you know, uh, 12, 15, 20% loss in in, in, in terms of, of dry matter and nutrients in our silage uh, can be traced back to, my opinion, placing a Band-Aid on an ill-conceived product. I believe that we need to lower populations while still trying to achieve yield. You do that with flex genetics. You get that material that is going to pack better. It's adequate fermentation. We can chop longer instead of, instead of, instead of finer grind. We can we can uh, begin to alleviate some of those concerns that we have 
uh, with with the product that's a little better a little better conceived. So that's kind of a theory that I've got. That a lot of the issues that we've got with processors, high high chop length, uh, wetter wetter moistures can really be traced back to us pushing populations higher and getting the corn plant itself farther away from what would be ideal for proper fermentation and maximizing yield and maximizing effective fiber and nutrition in the rumen. Make sense? Yeah, yeah you, you hit on, I appreciate you bringing back the, the fermentation of dry matter losses. This is an area I've done uh, a little bit of academic research as well as so. have a fair bit of practical experience to go along with it. So when I when I speak of uh, moisture or dry matter targets, it's it's coming back to exactly what you pointed out, the fermentation losses and, and the risk associated with those. So you're right, Lynn, uh, in, in the event that we can uh, do everything right, nail all our check boxes and our management uh, to-do list as we set out and plan for the year with our harvesting crew, uh, getting, a, getting a crop in at 36, 37, 38% dry matter will, will tend to be a greater starch content, and we will certainly have greater yield associated with that. Uh, where, where I'm a little bit more conservative on my dry matter recommendations or uh, moisture recommendations, uh, it stems from experience, too many experiences where we have aimed for that goal, but we have missed our window, and then yeah. a plant that dries out or crops that dries out yeah. very quickly, and then the risk associated with that side of the equation is, is just too much, uh, and, and we end up burned with 12 to 18 months of feed that is nowhere near what we want it to be. Despite having decent nutritional profile, it, it's just not coming in, and is a, it's not a, de a decent silage. Uh, so it's a little bit of a risk game as well. But back to your point on fermentation losses, I appreciate that because you're right. I, I glossed over that, and uh, I'll gloss over a lot of things uh, for those of you that. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, is not my intention. I tend to get on, on tangents. But speaking to that fermentation shrink, when we talk about 12 to 15 percent fermentation losses, Lynn is exactly correct. And I'll phrase it in another way. Think about going out and harvesting an acre or harvesting 100 acres. So a typical silage yield is going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 30 tons of wet or as is feed. Think about harvesting putting the seed in the ground, paying for that high quality seed genetics, doing all that we can in management, uh, agronomic management, soil fertility throughout the season. Uh, Lynn is exactly right. Uh, a, a lighter population does look to be of nutritional benefit from a silage standpoint. So that's something we got to consider, but then harvesting that crop, storing that crop and say having, oh, I don't know, maybe in the neighborhood of $800 in cost of production for that, that acre and say 25 ton yield. Then think about taking 15% of that crop and that acre and just lighting on fire. That's essentially what fermentation losses are. And the best areas, they're able to minimize that down to probably two to 5%. When we do everything right, we have a successfully fermented feed. If we harvest say 30 ton, we're gonna feed out 97 to 98% of that 30 ton and that's minimal dry matter loss. But in the event that we miss our window, we don't do a, a good job in hitting all of our management checklists, and we end up with seven to 10 to even 15% in fermentation losses, think about losing, I don't know, three to five ton of that 30 ton you harvested and it's just disappearing. That's what we're talking about here. It's a substantial economic uh, impact that we don't necessarily see, but that disappears over the life of, of uh, fermentation and feed out. Well said. Very cool. Uh, so we kind of covered the topics that we, we kind of emailed about before the show, but you know, it's 
as we said, silage harvest is coming up. It's soon. Uh, is there anything else that you can think of? Maybe this as we're as we're sending our guys out to the chopper. Like, you know, what what else would you maybe want to impart to them? Yeah, first and foremost, be safe. Uh, be safe through this this time. It, it's been just a, a wild wild year to this point, and and so we we have wished one another safety. Uh, for very different reasons uh, many times over. But as we get out and we're around large machinery uh, and equipment, just please be safe, wear bright colored outfits and, and uh, look out for one another. And then when it comes to uh, us just conducting ourselves this year, uh, one thing that we were discussing prior to the podcast, but I, I think dairies and feed yards out there in evaluating seed genetics into the future, stand to do uh, have some substantial opportunity in better evaluating seed genetics by way of uh, maybe looking at how seed genetics perform on your farm uh, in your growing conditions. So if there's any opportunity for you to uh, maybe a little bit more intensely, more evaluate some of your seed genetics growing on your farm this year. And of course, I'll put in a shameless plug for doing some nutrition profile testing. Many of you know that uh, by day I I work with and support Rockefeller Laboratory and enjoy that relationship, working with Master's Choice through that channel as well. But getting an idea of of how the the seed genetics and hybrids perform on your farm, uh, in your growing conditions, as well as what the well-replicated results look like with uh, our impending uh, impending test plot results coming from the Master's Choice team and others. But that, that would be one other thing I would suggest to consider. Good. Very cool. You got anything you want to add to silage harvest? Uh, I, I'm really kind of tapped you out. Blew it up. Yeah. <laughs> well, John, thanks for coming on. Let's let's do it again sometime soon. I look forward to that, guys. I appreciate uh, you, you offering me a platform to hopefully come out and help with a few tips. But keep up the great work. Thank you. All right, podcast audience. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks, guys. Oh,